0: Last week, we looked at the centrality of the resurrection, right? how that is the central um, conviction of the Christian faith. And I want to move along with that in the next couple of weeks and talk about how theology affects practice, and it should. They, both what you do and what you believe, they inform one another. Now, I know a lot of people think, ah, theology, that's all, I don't need that. Well, theology is simply what you believe about God. It's a, it's a fancy word, but it really means what are your convictions about God, and that changes how you live, how you interact with the world. We saw that last week where Thomas, doubting Thomas, right, he didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. His disciples, the fellow disciples told him that, but until he was convinced himself... That became a fundamental belief for him. Right? It, didn't, it, it, it changed his actions, right? Or that belief changed what then he was able to do. So yes, theology, practice, they inform one another. And a part of our Christian walk, really, so that we're people of integrity is to make sure that our, our belief and our practice match one another. That's to be a person of integrity, to grow as a disciple means, all right, this is what I believe, this is what I've convinced of, and then this is how I live that truth out. That's a part of being a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus is enacting that. And so as we look forward as a church, as individuals, to this next uncertain season, right, because you know things are changing, we're sort of coming out of the pandemic. What does that mean? Well, we're going to look at a couple of basic things and saying, you know what, no matter what happens in life, in our church, that if, if we try to take these core beliefs and put them into practice, like, that's a win. That's a success. That's what God wants us to do no matter what we uh, encounter. And to help us do that today, I've brought some yogurt We'll get back to that in a moment. But one of the core beliefs that we must put into practice as a church, uh, as individual Christians, is that God is God. I we think, um, that's not really that earth-shattering, Pastor Joe. I mean, isn't that really basic? Yeah, it is. And when I say God is God, I don't mean that we believe that the creator and sustainer of the universe is, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the God of Jesus Christ, the three in one, identifying him as the creator. What I mean by God is that which is number one in your life, the one who is number one in your universe, that's your functional God. So our core belief is that God is God And then putting that into practice. That's why one of the, the things that we've, sort of our slogan for the last couple of years, or at least that's what I want it to be our slogan, is, you know, at Second Baptist Church, Christ is first, right? That must be a core conviction that we not only believe, but we seek to implement that in our church and in our life. So would you say that with me? At Second Baptist Church, Christ is first at Second Baptist Church, Christ is first. Now, if that was the only truth that we focused on and tried to implement in our church and individual practice, we would still have plenty of work to do, would we not? Because every day, it's about making God God in our lives, making Christ first. And that, I mean, think about the Big Ten, right? The Ten Commandments, you might have heard of them. Well, what's number one? you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, God's got to be number one. That is the primary commandment of our faith. Or we go to the New Testament because we're a people who also have the New Testament. And when someone asked Jesus, what's the primary commandment? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Basically make God number one. He says, and on on this commandment, and love your neighbors as yourself, hangs the whole law and the prophets. And that's why we say, yes, love God, worship God. Because when you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, that means worship him. And then we look at our practice, and we say, all right, am I making God number one in, um, in my life, in our church? Is glorifying God our utmost consideration when thinking about how we practice, whatever. And see, that's a churchy word, glorify God, but what does that word mean? It means make God number one, right? When you're glorifying, it means you are saying his glory, he's number one. There's none like him. So glorifying God is a fancy church way of saying God is number one. And do we in our practice think about that? when deciding on what we do here in our church service? Do we think, all right, what would proclaim God is number one when we gather? Is that our primary consideration as staff or as a church body when we decide what we're doing? Is it your primary consideration? When you come into these doors, do you say, man, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what distractions are going to happen. But as long as God is glorified, as long as he's made number one, success. That's why we're here. That is what, and again, so that's what we have to do our practice. Or, and as an individual, you know, how do I use my resources? One of the, the things I really appreciate about, you know, the nephews are doing that, that um, the marriage a seminar course, uh, whatever it's called, <laughs> the, the good thing, right, the gathering. One of the reasons I really like that program and that material is that it basically says, how can we make God number one in our marriage and, and allow that truth of when he is number one in practice, how that just affects everything. So it's a great program. But thinking that way, how do I use my free time? Is Christ first? Again, this is why we can spend every day on that core truth. And so as a church and a Christian, Christ's work must be our number one priority, and his message must be number one. So I want to look at a scripture today, how uh, it's at Second Corinthians chapter four verses one through 10. And as you get there, let me just tell you a little bit about the context. So in the context is Paul would go to different cities, and in this case, Corinth, and he would proclaim the wonderful truth of the resurrection and how, uh, you know, the God of the universe, the number one uh, God of all things has come into the flesh and given his life for you, and that should change everything. Um, When he would go and bring that message, it would change people's lives. It would change their practice as their beliefs were changed. But uh, in chapter three, again, just to give you the context, Paul is explaining how the message of Christ has a glory, right? A preeminence that is like none other. That that preeminence is even greater than the glory of the message that came through Moses. Now, they both reflected the glory of God, but this is even more so. And that, yeah, that glory is veiled to some. Some people can't see its preeminence, and so they reject that message. But Paul says, yeah, but this message came through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and so Paul came with the message of the Spirit and the word of God to Corinth, despite dis- uh, opposition, and the light of the gospel penetrated people's hearts, changed their lives. All right, so that's the context. As we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, having this ministry, what ministry? The ministry of bringing that message of, of God to everywhere, In their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Notice that word glory, the glory of Christ, the preeminence of Christ, because he's the image of God. Uh, For what we proclaim, and this is really the central verse that I want us to, well, this and another one, but to to take is verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out in the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. Let's focus down on the first five verses to begin with. So Paul says, we proclaimed Christ and his message first, not ourselves. That is crucial. If we are going to make Jesus first at Second Baptist or in our life, then Jesus, uh, his message must be first. A messenger cannot mess with the message, right? We, we can't. We can't tamper with it. Part of, of, of making Christ first is prioritizing his message. We have no authority to change it. As Paul says in verse 2, we refuse to tamper with God's word. Now we can communicate it in different ways that are easier to understand. That's why the apostle says, I've become all things to all people so that I might, by all means might save some. To the Jews I became a Jew, as to the Gentiles I became like a Gentile, meaning that, no, it's the same message, the same message of Christ's preeminence, the same message of resurrection, but I'm going to present it in a little bit different ways so that they can actually understand it but I'm not going to change the meaning. I'm not going to tamper with it because it's not my message, it's God's message. And that message has an objective quality. It has a truth right, that's connected to the author of that message, which in this case is the Holy Spirit of God. So that even if that message causes resistance or disagreement, and it will, it's still we can't tamper with it. If, if Jesus is going to be first, his message has to be first. And that truth has to affect our practice. Now again, I haven't said anything probably that people would disagree with. That, oh yeah, we're, we're a, a, a church that's Bible-based, so of course Jesus' message is first. But oftentimes, when it comes to practice, that's where we can um, get dislodged from that core truth. So what what does it look like for me, I think, when it comes to, all right, what does it mean for Christ's message to be first? Well, first, I think that our bread and butter as a church, I'll first talk about how it affects our church, is that we we need to open up the scriptures, right? That's what the verse says, is by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God that that is core. And so what does that look like? Well, it looks like as a preacher, I don't come up with an idea of, "Hmm, what should I preach about?" and then go look in the scriptures, rip something out of context and then use that as as sort of as my means to get across my message. You see that? It's one of my pet peeves that I some very popular preachers that's what they do they'll take one scripture right one little verse pull it right out of context and then use it to make a point no we open the scriptures that's why the be- that part of our bread and butter is that there at all times in our body there should be expositional exegetical going through the scriptures in context because if we are truly wanting to allow and we believe that God's word and his spirit come together and transform us, then how do we put that into practice? We actually submit ourselves to the word in context, not using it for our purposes, not using it to make our point, but submitting ourselves to that scripture. We want to openly state the truth and then help folks Help us understand it for ourselves. See, if we truly believe Christ's message is first, I want Christ's message to be first, not just here on Sunday morning, but I want it to be first in your life as well. So a part of my job as a pastor is to help open the scripture so that when you read it at home, you're not like, oh, how did the pastor get this? Well, he probably got that because he took it out of of context and was saying what he wanted to say, just using the scripture to do that. As opposed to saying, no, this is, you know, what, when I'm looking at this, 2 Corinthians, for instance, I want to tell you the context of where it came from so that when you're reading, you're like, oh, okay, I get it, I'm connecting this to those other passages, I'm connecting it to other parts of the Bible so that, yeah, I can understand it myself. It's an opening of the truth. Because I would rather have you leave a service... Or Sunday service, understanding the word of God better than just all hyped up. Now, I'd hopefully, I'd like you to be both, right? I'd like you to be excited, but if I've if got a choice between, yeah, excited, and then you go out and it's just, oh, whatever, as opposed to, no, I understand the truth of God. I understand his word. Now I see how it is. I can make it a number one priority in my life. I'd rather have that because his message is first. So yeah, I can get people hyped up. I can get people laughing. But you know what? Six flags just opened. If that's what you're looking for, go there. I don't want you going away impressed with my creativity. I want you impressed with the creator. So the conviction is God's word is number one in transforming. And so the practice then is we wanna understand God's word for ourselves. We wanna be able to unpack that. All of it, even the hard scriptures, which is again, why do we go through scriptures? Why do we go through, that's our bread and butter, going through books of the Bible so that when we get to the hard scriptures, well, we actually get to the hard scriptures. We don't just skip it over and like, no, I want to, I'm just gonna preach the, 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 uh, the passages where everyone goes rah-rah. No, I wanna preach those passages where people are like ooh, that is difficult. I don't understand how that applies to my life. And, and those are the scriptures that will often undercut our faith. That's where we want to go because God's word is number one. And it's not just number one on the high places. It's number one when we're even in the low places and not understanding. So making God's word number one is a big part of making him number one in our life, making his word number one. The other way is we, sub, we, we subject all of our practices, all of our traditions to God's word, not the other way around. Right? That's what it means to keep the message number one. Theology affects practice. If we start out, and many churches do, well, how do we usually do it? If that's our starting place, well, doesn't that make tradition number one and not God's word? Or if we start out, well, what is makes most people happy? Well, isn't that making people, number one, and not God's word? We subject everything to God's word. And then finally, number three, making God's word. What does that look like in practice? We're careful not to tamper with God's word. And that happens a lot. And again, a lot of times we tamper with God's words in ways we don't intend. You know, if you look at history, and some of you like history, I like history, or you even have been to other countries and seen Christianity practiced in other places, you become aware of our human capacity for blindness, our human capacity to tamper with God's word. Sometimes um, it's, it's not tampering with God's word, it's just a total disconnect between our convictions and our practice in such a way that if only someone would come alongside and say, wait a minute, how does that, match your beliefs that it would change the way that we, well, practice. Uh, Just an example, I've been reading a book on the history of Jerusalem. It's it's like a biography of Jerusalem and it goes from its founding all the way up to now. And one of the parts of that book that always gets me, or when I read about the subject, is the Crusades. Crusades were inspired by some preachers Right? Who were saying, hey, the Holy Land, that should be Christian property. So let's go and take it back for God. All right. So then they lay siege to the city of Jerusalem. Finally, they break through and they go and they slaughter everyone women and children. Did you even read the New Testament? Did did you look at it? How in the world? And sure. From looking back on it, we're like, how, how, did, how is making God's word number one when you can do that kind of thing? That's just an example. But everyone was on board. All those Europeans, they were like, yeah, let's go do that. That's, that is how we can follow God's word. It's like, did you just read the conquest narratives, or did you read any of Jesus' words? Again, this is an example of we, have, we can be spiritually blind. That's why we need one another. That's why another way that we make God's word number one is making sure that we look at things from different perspectives, that yes, we have our core truths, but we want people of different backgrounds, we want diff- people of different ethnicities and stuff to look at these scriptures because we have blind spots. You know, it's, it's interesting that a, a couple months ago when we were talking about some of the um, you know, racial divisions and whatnot, and, and someone in the church said, why are you bringing this outside stuff into the church? I'm like, well, wait, wait a minute. Now, I, I think we have a problem all the time anyways of having blind spots in the Scripture, so we, we, we want to make sure that we look at things from different perspectives because we have that human propensity. So the point is, is that a part of making and not tampering with the word, All right, and I'll get to this in a second, is we, we don't tamper with the word, but we, we make sure that if we look at things and we have diverse perspectives, it helps to correct that so that we don't unwittingly add... Can, um, tampering with god's word all right so how does that apply to an individual how do we make god's message number one in uh in our lives as individuals well first prioritize the word in your life right because if god's word is not number one if netflix reruns is number one if any other thing is number one how are you going to grow in the lord but then hold up all of your practices to that word and then be in community Just as we as a community want to be in interaction with other people to make sure we don't have blind spots, we want to make sure that we're in community as individuals so that we don't have those blind spots. And making Christ first means not only understanding that we carry the message as messengers, but that we also carry God's glory, that the point of being, or not the point, but one of the things that as we bring God's message, we also bring his glory, and that we want him to be first and preeminent. So when we look at the second part of, of 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5 through 10, it says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And then verse 10, always carrying in the body of death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So again, we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus as Lord. So yes, we are servants of God, but we're servants for Jesus' sake. Look at verse 6. It says, in our hearts, we have seen and experienced the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The glory of God, the preeminence of God, we've seen it in Jesus Christ. So we know that it's an unmatched, number one kind of glory. And when people in Scripture encounter God's glory, do you know what happens to them? They're wrecked. They fall down. It knocks people over. As we're looking through Ezekiel on Wednesday nights, one of the things when Ezekiel encounters God's glory, he falls down. He can't handle it. Because when you experience God's glory, there's no question. Like, he's number one. Like, when I've experienced unfettered that, yeah, there's no question. His glory is so much greater than mine that it ends up knocking you and me off the throne. God's glory is meant to knock us off the throne of our life. And then verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that their surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Okay, now we can get to yogurt. So a clay jar. So we have a clay jar here, actually, right? The one that looks kind of oldy timey And you might be like, oh, that's kind of pretty. Well, that's why I brought this. Because in those days, a jar of clay, it's not this beautiful vase that everyone's like, oh, look at that beauty. A, a jar of clay is simply a container. Like this. Right? This is a yogurt container. Now, when my wife gives me a list and says, oh, go pick me up some yogurt, right? I bring, I brought home this. Right? And now, if she opened it, and found out that it was empty, she would say, wait, wait, why didn't you pick me up yogurt? But I was like, no, no, see, look, I got you some yogurt. Like, no, 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 that's just a container. You see, when we go and pick stuff up, that plastic container is just something that, it's, it's really about what's inside that container, isn't it? And so a plastic container gives us that better picture of that we, are, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? So we want people to understand that it, it's not us. This is a container. What's really important is the glory of God inside, the power of God inside. And so we want Christ to be made known first and foremost throughout our personal lives and our church body. So that if we think of our bodies, Verse 10 says this, Jesus may be manifested in our bodies, that in our bodies, in our lives, we're like that container where when people encounter us, right, it's really about what's inside. It's about that yogurt. It's about that nutrients, not the container. And think about what what kind of difference that would make. Because again, that's really making Jesus number one. Making Jesus number one means that when someone sees you, it's about what's inside. It's about the yogurt. It's not about the container. right? If, if um, this represents our lives, then really it's about, again, what's the contents, not the container. Think about that. I think about that as a church. Wouldn't it be great if when people heard, you know, about Second Baptist Church, what came to mind was not a building, certainly wasn't a pastor, it wasn't about programs, but Christ. But Christ came to mind. Think about what a difference that would make. And if that's our conviction, and that is my conviction, that's what I want to happen, then what does that look like? Well, again, for, for me, it, it means that It should affect our practice of of, of church ministry. You know, pastors, church leaders, our job is to decrease. It is to decrease so that Christ increases. My job as a pastor is to equip people in the church so that the church could function perfectly well without me. Because Christ is first so that you could continue your spiritual growth without me. Too many churches and their pastors have a spiritual codependency where it stunts the growth. It elevates people to first place. Oh, pastor, we need you. And that codependent pastor is like, oh, good, I love to be needed. I'm I'm sort of opening up some things I teach in my pastoral ministry class, just, just so you know. No, as as a church leader, we want Christ to be first. And and as a church leader, if you want Christ to be first, then replace your need to be needed with the need to raise up others so that Christ will be preeminent. You know, my vision for, for my ministry is if God grants me 20 more years of life, and who knows if he will or not, But that there would be such a cadre of Christian leaders here at Second Baptist Church, Christ centered leaders, that the church would say to me, Pastor, it's time. It's time. You've raised up enough pastors and elders and leaders that are effectively reaching new generations. It's time for you to put on your white New Balance shoes and your jean shorts. And go retire to be a missionary professor somewhere in an unreached area. I'm serious. That is the vision for my life, so that Christ would be preeminent. Now, this, so we need to get some busy on some leadership development. And if you're interested in that, please see me. But part of that is not just to gather either, it's not just gathering people, building them up here. It's also gathering as we're doing now so that we get so equipped and, and in, in sync with making Christ first that then we go and make Christ first as a reality in our lives and in our places. It also means, you know, gathering and raising people up. And yeah, some of them are going to stay here and some of them are going to go. You know, I, I think of Jess Merrill. I think of uh, Kathleen O'Galley. And yeah, they, they raised up and now they're going and, and leading churches. Like It's both of those things. That's why the Apostle Paul refers to his leader group as your servants for Jesus' sake. Right? Leaders are ultimately to be, dis- be servants, but servants for Jesus' sake. And you know, we don't serve you to make you happy. We don't serve you to advance your agenda, but for the sake of Jesus' kingdom so that you and I would be more like Jesus. Christ is first. So yes, in general, Churches need to be less pastor-centered, but I would say, actually, in general, churches need to be less person-centered, less any person-centered, and more Christ-centered. So theology affects practice. How do our practices as a church reflect Jesus as number one, as his message is number one? And then, as an individual, we ask ourselves, how, does my, how do my individual practices reflect that Jesus is number one? Do I approach my faith in terms of what can God give me? Or as I practice my faith, what does it do for me? Or do I think what does that, how does that raise up God as number one? Do I think how can I be served or how can I serve? Do I see myself as a vessel for God's glory? And, I go, and in, in the American context, like, yeah, we don't like that. We want to be number one. We don't like the idea. Wait, I'm just a container? I'm just a plastic container? But yet, if you're a plastic container full of, of good nutrients of God's glory, then that is truly a remarkable thing. We want to get to the point where people don't compliment us as individuals on our wisdom or our strength, don't compliment our church, but they see Christ in us. I want to leave off with this scripture. Jeremiah 9, 23, 24 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Let's boast in the Lord. That's, that's what, that conviction is boasting in the Lord. As Christians, as a church, boasting in the Lord. So as we look forward to what is next, again, who knows? Like Who knows what's next? Who knows uh, um, what tomorrow holds, hold, what the next day holds? But as we look forward, we know that as a church, as a Christian, on the most basic and constant level, it's making him number one. It's making him number one. So I I sort of gave a few ways that we make him number one, you know, as a church, but also now as an individual. I want you as we go into prayer to think about what area of your life have you not made God number one? What area of your life do you know that Either you or something else has taken that preeminent place. And as God reveals that to your heart, as he reveals it to my heart, let's confess that. Let's go to God and ask him to change us from the inside out. Let's pray. Dear God, we pray that you would now work in our hearts Holy Spirit, would you move in this place, convict us? Lord, in what ways have we not made you number one in our church, but also in our lives? Lord, we confess that we haven't been faithful to your message. We confess that we've put other things number one. So show us, Lord. And in this last song, Lord, as you reveal in our hearts those things that those practices, those thoughts that don't line up with your word. Lord, that then you would empower us to live differently. To live by your power, your grace. So that we would truly reflect your glory and not our own. Lord, we are jars of clay plastic containers. May we hold your goodness, your power, and offer that to all who come near as a church and, Lord, as individuals. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.